Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. This is the interview edition of the show. We've got some fantastic guests for you. Objectively speaking, fantastic guests for you. So you're going to want to listen to this show. And of course, if you've made it this far, you probably are here to do that. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate your patronage for this show. Let's uh, introduce our guests. We've got Khabib Nurmagomedov. No introduction really needed. The most dominant fighter in the UFC, perhaps in UFC history. He's only lost one round officially on the scorecards throughout his UFC tenure. He's got a new puzzle ahead of him in another guest on this week's show, Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje is going to bring some great defensive wrestling paired with some fantastic uh, striking, great volume, great precision, and of course, you know, moreover, great power. Uh, and I think that's what is going to be the big puzzle for Khabib Nurmagomedov to solve this week when he steps into the octagon against his new fresh challenger, Justin Gaethje as Gaethje is going to pose a new set of complex problems for Khabib Nurmagomedov to solve. And Khabib, you know, there's always questions for Khabib going into fights. Can he beat somebody who can do this? What's he going to do about that? He's got all this adversity from a really a terrible 2020 for Khabib Nurmagomedov in terms of uh, stuff outside of the cage. Uh, namely, of course, the tragic passing of his father, Abdulmanap. How is he going to deal with someone like Justin Gaethje bringing that kind of weight with him into a fight? So... We will find that out on Saturday. This is the fight I'm most looking forward to this year. I cannot wait for Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Justin Gaethje. Just an awesome, awesome fight. I look forward to every Justin Gaethje fight, but this one in particular I am particularly fond of just because we have not seen Khabib in any sort of trouble, given any real problems in the cage. Justin Gaethje poses a unique set of skills that Khabib has not faced yet. And I always love watching Khabib try to solve those puzzles, which he's going to have to do this Saturday. The co-main event, Robert Whitaker against another guest on this week's show, Jared Cannonier, who joins us on the show. And in the heavyweight division, you've got Stefan Struve taking on the uh, the long-awaited return of Tai Tuivasa, who's been off for about a year. And we speak with Tai Tuivasa on the show as well. So let's, ju- let's dive right in. Let's go to our first guest. He is undefeated. He is Headlining UFC 254, the lightweight champion of the world, Khabib Nurmagomedov. And after that, we'll get the interim lightweight champion, Justin Gaethje, followed by Jared Cannonier and Tai Tuivasa. Here's our interview with the Eagle, Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's the lightweight champion of the world, the Eagle, Khabib Nurmagomedov. Khabib, you did your training camp in, uh, in Dubai. What was that experience like? It looks like a really great facility that they have there. No, it was great camp. It's a very hard camp, you know. It was great facility, like always, uh, like UAE people show us, and uh, it was good, very good camp. So Javier Mendez came out uh, to train you in Dubai. You didn't go to AKA for this particular camp. How did Javier like the experience of being out there with you and your team? You know, because of this pandemic stuff, because of Corona, when they asked me fight in Abu Dhabi. We make decisions with Javier Mendez. I'm going to make my half training camp in Dagestan. And 45 days before the fight, we're going to move to Dubai. And uh, he's going to come to Dubai uh, help for us. And uh, because Dubai time and Dagestan time is uh, same. We have same uh, uh, same time. And that's why I make everything uh, like this. Like half Dagestan, half Dubai. Because of... Uh, because of last time what happened, and you never know what's going to happen tomorrow with this pandemic stuff, and uh, it was more safe, you know, for us. 
And it's been a bit of a rocky road uh, heading to UFC 254. Islam Makhachev, your uh, teammate, left without an opponent. Uh, your cousin Umar yeah. is uh, in the hospital right now. Uh, are those things yeah. impacting you this week at all, or are you trying to block that out? No, of course this is a little bit impacting because uh, because I feel bad for, for my brothers. I feel very bad because I know how they work hard. They they last one month. They stay on diet. They stay in focus, training, sleep, eat, repeat. You know, it's like uh, and uh, it was it was bad news for us. But who knows? Who knows what's gonna happen tomorrow? Who knows which what decision? What decision and what news better for us? And we can talk about this after like I, maybe one year, two years. What uh, happened? the uh, last couple of days maybe it's gonna become uh, good news for these guys because you never know even if you're sick maybe this is better for your future you know yeah it doesn't have to go into a fight uh, with a, an ailment for sure so with islam you've said he's going to be the champion one day it seems like he has a tough time getting ranked opponents to face him mm. uh, do you think that that's because mm. of how dangerous he is in the cage I think he, because of his how he dangerous in the cage, and I think because of his ranking uh, too, because he's right now top twelve, and a lot of guys like top five, top six, top seven, they don't want to fight with him because this is a little bit risk for them, and uh, and I think that's why, I think that's why, and uh, right now he and uh, Islam in position like very hard position, but. After one, two fight, everything is gonna change. He's gonna show who he is, and uh, a lot of people are gonna want this fight after one year. They're gonna mention his name. They're gonna try to take fight with him because he's gonna be on good position, on good rank. And uh, but right now, Islam have to stay focused, uh, stay stay focused, stay ready, keep training, and keep fighting. This is what he need right now. Before each of your fights, they always say, how is Khabib going to deal with blank, with, McG with McGregor, his power striking? How are they going to deal with uh, Dustin Poirier's pressure? And how are they going to deal with Justin uh, Gaethje's defensive wrestling, his power striking? Do you like answering these mm -hmm. questions? Is it fun for you to get in there and silence all of the people that say, oh, how is Khabib going to deal with this? Yeah, I, I like this because b before e every fight, I hear how people talk about, oh, this guy going to be toughest challenge for him. Blah blah blah, but I don't pay attention for this, you know. Uh, I fight with a lot of good, a lot of great fighters, a lot of great strikers, and uh, when they talk about all oh, his kicks, his punch, he gonna stop his takedown and he give him a hard fight on stand up, you know. It's like uh, I don't pay attention, you know. I just can't wait Saturday night and. Uh, Everything what I feel, everything what I want, I'm going to say Saturday night. I don't know how it's possible for people to go into a fight with Justin Gaethje without having some sort of fear. You see how this guy fights. He's a very, very fearsome opponent, always marching forward. He's never afraid of anything that confronts him in the cage. Do you have any more fear facing Justin Gaethje than you have any past opponents? You know, like I watch his, uh, every fight when he fights with... Ferguson, Cowboy, uh, Dustin Poirier, uh, Edson Barboza, with all of these guys, he don't think about wrestling. He don't think about wrestling defense. He don't think about this. He just think about striking game. 
kicking angle. It was it was for him only kickboxing match. But right now he have to think about a lot of things about pressure, about wrestling, about ground game. He think about like uh, he have to think about uh, uh, conditioning, everything. You know, right now he have completely different opponent. And uh, of course I don't fear something like this. And uh, I just very exciting. I just want to show the world who is the best lightweight in the world. You know, this is this is what I want right now. This is why I'm so exciting right now. I spoke to George St. Pierre a couple of weeks ago, and I said, why get back into the UFC? Why get back into the, the pressure cooker that is the UFC? And he said, well, why not? You know, why, why, why would I want to look back when I'm 50 years old and think there, there's something I could have done to better my legacy? He's still interested in a, a fight with you if, if the stars align, he says. And if the weight class is somewhere between 155 and 170, some sort of catch weight. Is George still on your mind for something down the road, somebody that you'd like to face uh, to prove that you're better than somebody that a lot of people believe to be the best of all time? You know, of course, George, uh, I really want to fight with him. George is a great opponent. When I think about fighting versus George, I become excited, you know. And uh, he is uh, one of the guys, when I grew up, I always watch, you know. He is greatest uh, fighter in UFC history, in UFC history, you know. Like all, M all in all MMA, he's going to be almost in one in one step with uh, Fedor, and, uh, and it's gonna be great. It's gonna be very interesting fight, me versus George. But I don't know about his plan. But my plan is right now is uh, Saturday night. I wanna finish Justin Gaethje, and uh, Tuesday when you see always show us ranking. I wanna become pound for pound number one fighter. This is my goal right now. Do you believe that you're the most dominant fighter in UFC history? I don't know about history, but uh, last 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 couple of years, I'm most dominant fighter in UFC. Last couple of years, 2017, 18, 19, and 20, I believe I'm most dominant fighter in UFC. This this age always gonna be stay on my name. This is what I believe. You did a press conference in Russia, and they asked you about what would be next after uh, Justin Gaethje. And you said, well, if it's not George St. Pierre, whoever beats Dustin Poirier, if it's Ferguson, if it's uh, Conor McGregor, that's who I would like to face next. Mm. Do you still feel that way? I still feel this, but you have to fight in 155. If they fight 170 or 185, this is not lightweight contender fight. If you want to fight in lightweight division for the belt, you have to fight in lightweight, you know. Uh, what is this like? Okay, I'm champion in 155. Okay, give me fight in 170. Okay, let's make weight with Justin Gaethje in 170. You know, same thing. If you want to fight for the title in 155, you have to make 155. Yeah, there have been reports that if Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor face each other, it would be at 170 pounds. That is fairly confusing if they are trying to compete to become the lightweight champion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I don't understand why, why, why Dustin show. He show his weakness. This is just my opinion. He have to say something. Hey, this is my opinion too. He have to. He have to. He have to do something too. Like, okay, they ask him fight. Connor say, I'm gonna donate you money, and he say, Oh yes, 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 yes. and everywhere. But Dustin is lightweight fighter. He's not welterweight fighter. 
Why are you going to fight in 170? If you want to fight for the title next, you have to make 155. Fight in lighter division. This is just my opinion, you know. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. This Saturday, going to compete the two best lightweight in the world. And this is not Dustin O'Connor. This is Justin and Habib. You did, you did an interview uh, again recently where you talked about Tony Ferguson, and you said that you don't think that a fight with Tony Ferguson will ever happen. You believe that Tony's going to lose whatever his next fight is. Uh, with Tony, do you think he's his worst enemy? You see videos of him kicking poles. He makes weight for no reason. Is Tony getting in his own way, in your opinion? Uh, yeah, I think after last fight, he changed. He's going to change. After like this damage when you take, when you're 37 years old, of course, everything can, can change. On your mind, on your body, and uh, if you want to show he's high-level fighter, he keep high-level fighter. He have to fight with someone top five and beat him. Then we're gonna talk about this. You and Justin are both on Fight Island, but they've brought in Michael Chandler just in case anything goes wrong. Uh, how familiar are you with Michael Chandler, and what do you think of him? Michael Chandler is. Uh, I think I think I don't need like even use my wrestling versus Michael Chandler. This is what I think, and uh, I know he just come here in Abu Dhabi, but uh, he gonna come here, make weight, and go home. This is what I think. Thank you, Michael Chandler. Go home and fight with someone, other fighters. You know, he is not high level championship fighter. Uh, in USC, because two fights ago he lose in other organization, he lose uh, in Bellator for featherweight, he knock him out, you know, and uh, he have to improve himself, he have to show the world he can fight for the title and fight with someone from uh, top five in UFC, and then we're gonna talk about him. And finally, BT Sport did a, a great video that you shared on Instagram. It's a video that tells the tale of you and your father uh, coming up um, and, and how he was in your corner for the last fight uh, against uh, Dustin Poirier in Abu Dhabi. What did you think when you saw that video? It was very well done. Yeah, it's very well done, you know. This is like a video. It's like a very interesting video. They make this very interesting, you know. This is uh, good memories, good memories. All right, Habib, well, I always appreciate your time. Best of luck this weekend against Justin Gaethje. It's the main event in Abu Dhabi, and I hope to speak with you again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much. He is the interim lightweight champion of the world. The highlight, Justin Gaethje joining me. He is in the main event, UFC 254 against Khabib Nurmagomedov in one of the most anticipated lightweight titles, uh, fights in a long, long time. Justin, everybody always says, how's Khabib going to deal with this? And then when the fight happens, he never ends up having to deal with it. What is he going to have to deal with uh, from you that he hasn't dealt with in the past? Um, danger. I bring, uh, I am dangerous. I will be, he'll be in danger for 25 minutes. Um, and I ain't going out like no punk. So that's all there is to it. And I, I'm, I'm so prepared for this fight. Uh, I've been preparing for a long time. So yeah, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to, uh, to, to test this man. He thinks, uh, he thinks he's not human. I'm going to show him he's human.
You've been so comfortable in these interviews. I've been watching so many of them. And it seems like you really have a, almost a Zen-like presence about you going into this fight. It almost feels like you have a script written in your head. Is that how you see it? Uh, no, same as, same as every fight. I've been telling myself every day he's going to kick my ass and, and embarrass me. Um, so I get up, I work hard, I work as hard as I can. Um, I eat the things I've been needing to eat. I get as much sleep as I need, to, as I need and then, um, you know, kind of go out there and, uh, you know, just trust in myself, trust in the process. That's, uh, that's all there is to it. Um, you know, this is the biggest fight of my life, but it's just another fight. So I can't, uh, you know, I can't, be, I can't let it be too large to where it, uh, it overtakes my, um, you know, my thought process and, and my, my emotional state. Has that always been something that's driven you, is the fear of being embarrassed, the fear of, uh, of losing in front of a, a big crowd? I mean, coming into the UFC, you were undefeated. Uh, you lost two in a row, and since then, you've just been a totally different fighter. But is that, the, that fear the thing that really propels you and, and helps you train for these big fights? Yeah, I think uh, that, for one, I think it helps me stay grounded. Um, you know, we've seen countless, countless times where people, you know, forget that uh it's a fight and you know they, they put too much things into it it's the same as my first fight you know i'm better now i'm way better now than i was my first fight but it's just a fight i think from what we've seen habib is the most dominant fighter we've ever seen in the ufc but you've said in, in some interviews as well that you don't feel like he's really been challenged that the challengers that he's faced so far are not really the cream of the crop at lightweight, uh, at least up until Dustin Poirier. Is that the way you feel about him? I mean, I think Dustin's the cream of the crop, but outside, I mean, you know, he's had a... He, he won his belt from Al, Ali Aguita. That's not a title. That's that's not for a title. That was just a circumstance in which the title was on the line. Um, Ali Aguita is not world-class, not, not in the slightest. So, yeah, that doesn't count. Uh, Poirier, you know, I'd be a fool to say things, bad things about him when he whooped my ass. So, um, a formidable challenge. But again, that, that guy didn't grow up wrestling. He didn't, he didn't wrestle his whole life. Um, so yeah, I mean, I prevent, I, I'm obviously going to present a different kind of danger than he's ever faced as I have knocked out, you know, 19 or 18 or 19 of the people that I have, uh, out of 22 that I've beat. Uh, nobody's done that. And nobody presents the danger that I present. When you fought previously, you have gotten taken down in fights. But you've also changed the way you've, you've fought in recent, uh, in recent fights. You've changed your style. You've been a little bit more methodical about it. Uh, is there a different approach at all going into this that uh, will, will help you prevent getting taken down? Uh, I mean, going back, Michael Johnson, when he had me rocked, you know, he took me down for maybe a second. Um... The Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez, those weren't those weren't takedowns. You know, I scrambled and uh, nobody ever secured position. So, yeah, I, I, Michael Johnson got one takedown when I was really rocked. Got right back up. Outside that, nobody's ever taken me down in a fight. I heard, learned a lot about your upbringing recently. That uh, your mom used to drug test you to make sure that you weren't uh, taking drugs, that you were staying on the straight and narrow. Wouldn't allow you to go for for sleepovers at friends' houses. Uh, tell me about uh, kind of an untraditional uh, upbringing in that regard. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? 
I mean, untraditional on some. I think it's traditional. It should be traditional. Um, my parents, you know, are, are my support system. If I was ever to mess up, the last thing they were going to do is kick me out of the house. They're going to lock me in my room and make sure that I'm in my room. Um, they controlled, you know, uh, till you're 18, you don't have the ability to make the choices that you should be making. So it's, you know, those were great things for me. Um, I'm glad she drug tested me every week because, you know, I wasn't in a position to, uh, not make terrible choices. Um, and if you go stay at night at somebody else's house, your parents have no control over what you're doing. People go stay at their friend's house so they can sneak out because one parent might be um, more strict than another. And that's the reason uh, they wanted to um, protect me. And uh, that's what parents do. How much do you think that built discipline and routine in your life? Like, How much of an impact was that style of parenting? Um, again, a great upbringing. Uh, yeah. How much did that help you really in terms of becoming where you're at today? Yeah, it was everything, especially you know, uh, my life has been organized and planned for me in a sense since I was a since I was a child. You know, I had to practice at three o'clock and I had to show up. I had to practice at six o'clock for another sport and I had to show up. You know, and they always made sure I was there. And uh, through college, same thing. I had practice at three o'clock, uh, lifting at six a.m. Uh, my life has been very very planned out. Um, and you know, I, I bought in early and I love competition. So every time I was in those settings, I worked, um, you know, as hard as I possibly can. So that is everything. You always talk about the competition getting to the highest level. Your uh, manager, Ali Abdelaziz, said in an interview recently that you, uh, turned down a fight with Conor McGregor that was going to take place in July to be, be the number one contender for Habib. I mean, you were already the number one contender for Habib as the interim champion. Uh, is the, are those values something that your parents instilled in you to, to become a champion and, and focus on that and let everything else fall into place after that? I mean, I think they, they played a huge part, but I think um, uh, for me, again, you know, you, you gamble on yourself. If I, when I beat Habib, that fight's, you know, that fight's there. Or whoever, whoever I'm fighting is there. But, you know, the legacy that I'm trying to create goes through Habib. It doesn't go through Conor. What do you want your legacy to be when all said done? If you get a win over Habib, I mean, you're, you're already beating, again, somebody who a lot of people think is an untouchable. He's lost one round officially in his UFC career. What do you want your lasting legacy to be in this sport? Uh... You know, ultimately, it will be that you you can never give up on yourself. Um, you know, I'm sure there was so many people that counted me out after I took those two losses. And, you know, I faced adversity and I came back and proven that, you know, a, a failure is is not the definition of, of yourself. Um, how you pick yourself up and how you continue is is what I'm trying to instill into myself and into people is... Don't ever give up. Trust in your process. Trust in the process. Trust in yourself. Uh, be better than yesterday. And yeah, that has a, that has everything to do with my upbringing. But you know, I'm I'm an adult now, and so I'm able to, you know, make my own choices now. And um, you know, being guided through that has put me in a great position to make those choices. What was the big change after those two losses? Tell me about when you sat down with Trevor Whitman. 
and, and discussed what was next and how you were going to change things up. What, what do you think was the pivotal change after those two losses? Uh, you know, I'll never be able to pinpoint it, honestly, because, you know, it wasn't like a, like we sat down and had a conversation. It's kind of just, you know, I'm always around him. We work, you know, we work together. We both, we own Onyx Sports together. Um, so I'm always around him. But internally, it was just, you know, uh, I was, in my mind, I was winning those fights until they punched me or hit me with that knee you know, at the right time. And it was because I became so lackadaisical or so comfortable in, in that setting. And, you know, I always have to remember how dangerous it is. And no matter how much I love it, it's still danger. And, um, you know, I, I'm just, I need to protect myself from myself in those circumstances because I, I, I love that thrill so much. So, you know, the internally I was like, you just can't get hit. If they don't hit you, then, uh, you know, you're going to create damage. Trevor's been working on a process for 10 years now. But, you know, I uh, – and if you go back and look at how chaotic those things were, there was still so much uh, – there was a method to the madness at all times. You know, even though it did not look like it to the untrained eye, there was always a method to the madness. Uh, my timing and my reactions are why I'm here. Um, my ability to not hesitate in any circumstance is why I'm here. And so, you know, we've been honing that skill for 10 years. And once I lost, I was able to take a step back and, and just be more methodical. And that's really all it is. Just goes to show how uh, much the margin of error matters in the lightweight division. It's just such a strong division at the top. And I remember watching in between rounds. Trevor Whitman saying, don't make mistakes, you know, just be, be, you know, be you, but don't make mistakes. And I, I think that's really what it's come down to. And, uh, you know, that's what you're saying right there is it's just a, I guess you're, you're, you're making sure that everything you do counts and, and matters. And that's really been the big step. Is, is that, is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, I would say I, um, I didn't throw caution to the wind, but it, it wasn't even a factor, but now, you know, they're at this level, you cannot make mistakes, especially in world championship fights. The one mistake, you know, will cost you everything. So I got to go be perfect. That's um, that's been my um, focus for since I took those two losses. Honestly, it was don't make mistakes. You know, I made big mistakes in that fight. I went out there and I just threw a kick um, randomly. I was like, this dude's leg's broken. Just kick his leg, you know, and that's throwing caution to the wind. You know, there still has to be a method to kick his leg. Being perfect, that's a lot of pressure. But I, I'm, I imagine that's what gets you out of bed in the morning, is that pressure to be perfect and performing on, on fight day. Uh, how, how important is that to you, just, just knowing that you need to make sure that every little thing you do is perfection in order to beat the, the man that a lot of people think is the most dominant fighter in history? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not that hard. I mean, you, you are in control of everything. You, know, you control your thoughts, your emotions, your actions at all times. At all times. And I've had... You know, 12 weeks, I'm not, I'm not ready to do math, but it's thousands and thousands of minutes. I only have to be perfect for 25 minutes. I haven't been perfect for every single minute since I started preparing for this fight, but I have been preparing to be perfect for 25 minutes, and that's what I'm here for. Well, on a personal level, there's no fight I've looked forward to more this year than your fight against Khabib Nurmagomedov, the main event, UFC 254. 
Uh, we look forward to, to watching it. And uh, thanks so much for your time, Justin. Yes, sir. I promise you I will not go out like no punk. The champion calls him the dark horse of the division. He is Jared Cannonier. We're going to find out if he is the dark horse of the division when he faces the number one contender, Robert Whitaker, this weekend. So uh, why do you think Israel has taken such a shine to you as a, as a contender? Well, um, he said it himself in interviews that uh, he likes my energy, you know. And uh, for me, the fact that he said that um, lets me know something, that he's looking with here instead of looking with there. So um, all the respect to him. And uh, I definitely appreciate the uh, acknowledgement. And he also sees my, I mean, I'm sure he sees my fights. He's seen the last three fights I had. And, you know, I came out of those fights relatively unscathed, controlling the fight from start to finish. And putting away three very, uh, very skilled, very high-level uh, competitors in impressive fashion. So um, why wouldn't he? Uh, take note of that, you know, especially being a champion, he should definitely be seeing, hey, who's coming? What are they doing now? What are they, what can they do if they ever make it to, uh, you know, a title fight? So um, I'm very appreciative again of uh, him acknowledging that. And um, like, you know, we've heard all heard it before real, rec real, recognize real. So, um, yeah, I'll take it. You used to fight at heavyweight, then light heavyweight. I remember after one of your light heavyweight wins, I was interviewing you, and you said, you know, I think I'm going to go down to middleweight. And I was like, uh, well, I mean, you, you used to be a heavyweight, and you said, well, watch me do it. And I was thinking, well, okay, I mean, this guy's huge. But you managed to do it, and you've been doing it consistently. What's the key for you to keep your weight at such a level where you're able to make uh, middleweight so seamlessly? Well, uh, being a martial artist, you know. As a martial artist, we train, you know, we work out, we exercise. We also eat good. So um, as time goes by, I really uh, adjust things to be a better martial artist. And eating less meat has definitely helped me in that regard. Um, as we all know, in our meat industry, these uh, they pump a lot of metals into these animals. Metals weigh a lot. So that's why when you eat meat, you put on a lot of weight. You can't really, uh, your body can't, can't really process metals as fast. So what does it do? It stores it in our fat creates fat to store the toxic metals. That's how people get fat from eating a lot of meat, not to mention all the chemicals. I can go on and on if you want me to, but uh, <laughs> clean eating, training, working out is a, um, making middleweight is a byproduct of that. You know, um, <clears throat> when I got into this as a heavyweight, I knew that, I know that I'm not a heavyweight. Anybody who's smart knows that yeah, he's not really a heavyweight. He's just fighting there for now. So um, that's what it was. You know, I wasn't really uh, in tune with myself. So I was eating all kinds of crap. And, uh, and you know, but it, it, the situation that I was in, you know, I would work all day. I had a, de you know, relative, relatively a desk job. So 10 hours a day sitting in front of a computer, twisting screwdrivers and stuff like that. And then trying to fit in as much training as I can and family time as I can after that and then still trying to sleep so I can wake up at five o'clock or four o'clock in the morning and go back to work at 6 a.m. and do it all over again. Um, so work was actually hindering my martial arts journey. Um, but when I got to a point to where I could make enough money 
and not have to make enough money fighting and not I, I quit my job and that was the best decision I ever made you know it was a really good job a career you know what I'm saying and um if if I would have stayed I'd probably be a part of the zipper club if you're familiar with that term are you I'm not I'm not familiar with the zipper club do you want to fill me in when you eat eat like shit you eat a bunch of fat you get clogged arteries you end up having a heart attack and they have to cut crack your chest open and um you know fix you and when they when they uh they staple you back together and it looks like a freaking zipper yeah i remember actually so, there was referenced on the simpsons once with crusty the uh, crusty the clown my grandfather was actually a member of the zipper club yeah yeah so i didn't i did not want to be a part of the zipper club you know it was a lot of guy and i learned that term from guys at work you know what i'm saying <laughs> But it was good eating, though. You know, there were barbecue, and and you know, we had a guy up there who made some really good barbecue. His competitive barbecuer, um, Troy. Shout out to Troy. Always made some good food, some good pork butt, some good brisket. You know, um, but um, like I just said, I just gave you the whole spill about meat and all that stuff. But um, when I quit my job um, and went and moved to Arizona and put myself in an environment with uh, high level intellectual martial artists um learning from them learning more about myself as as what martial arts does for you um and just figuring out how to be a better version of myself of course i adjusted my diet um adjusted my training adjusted you know uh my work my workouts my recovery all that everything involved in being a martial artist um <clears throat> again i you know diving headfirst into this uh, into the game and um, this is the results, you know. Again, uh, light heavyweight was definitely a, a conscious decision. Middleweight was more consequential. You know, when I changed, again, I changed my camps, got to do, you know, live the life of a fighter or a martial artist, I like to say, live the life of a martial artist, just training and training, learning, and teaching as well. Um <clears throat> It's just making me a better person. So, the, again, these are just the results of that. You said that Israel saw you through here. So that, I think that's a reference to energy. And uh, I know that that's been a big part of learning more about yourself. You've been into crystals, meditation, and things like that. Did you bring any specific crystals with you for this fight? And uh, if so, what is the meaning of them? I certainly did. I brought, Of course, I keep pyrite on me at all times. Um, but I got a new piece right here. This is called Moldavite. Yeah. Yeah. This is a really interesting crystal. It, it uh, This crystal comes from, it's, it's actually uh, formed when a meteorite impacted near the Czech Republic and the heat from the meteorite and the impact um, in the ground, the dirt and stuff. Uh, what they call it? This is like a tektite, which is kind of like glass. And we all know that, you know, when you, bring extreme heat to sand, it creates glass, and all the other, uh, I can't give you a whole molecular break, breakdown of it, but um, this right here, I use this to help manifest. So I'm trying to manifest big things with this here stone, and this is one I brought with me. And uh, this is gonna help me manifest a title shot. It seems like it uh, has not failed you yet. Uh, when, when did you start getting into the stones? Have you been basically undefeated since you started uh, becoming more interested in crystals and, and uh, minerals? <laughs> no, I haven't been undefeated. 
you know uh when i i got into uh when i got into this whole avenue of uh when i got on this whole avenue of things if you will it happened when i quit my job and i had a lot more time to myself so um my job <laughs> was cutting in on my training as well it was cutting in on the quality of my life you know I wasn't learning the things that I needed to learn. You know, I was, you know, trying to be a good Christian and, you know, work the job and raise my family, get that white picket fence, get the house with the white picket fence and all that bull crap that they tell us we want to get when we grow up. Um, I think our, our, I think it, all of that was a distraction from our true goals here on earth. Our goals here on earth are to, one, acquire knowledge, okay, wisdom. And not only that, we're stewards of the planet. We're supposed to care for the planet, and we're definitely not doing that. We're cutting down trees. We're pissing and shitting in the water, you know what I'm saying, polluting the air and stuff like that. And we're killing and murdering each other. We create borders to tell people that you're this person and you're that person. We distract each other with all the stuff we put on media and TV and stuff like that. And I was definitely distracted. I was indoctrinated. And when I quit my job, I broke that curse. I stopped doing religion. I, I started um, going in, meditating. Instead of praying and sending my energy out, I started harnessing, harnessing my energy in, meditating. And then using that energy, sending it out to to get what I what I need out of life, which is, of course, wisdom, you know, um, and all that other stuff I just named. Um, so when I stopped being distracted, when I stopped being occupied, you know, when I quit my occupation, that's that's funny that they call it as an occupation. When I quit that occupation, I had more time to dive delve into arts, martial arts. And and going in, when I do martial arts, I go in, you know what I'm saying? Even though I'm doing training with a partner, it's me in my own head figuring out what I want to do to make this, uh, to uh, create a certain atmosphere, to create a result. And, um, of course, my mind channels, funnels through my body, which creates the physical action to make things happen. Um, yeah, once I stopped doing that, that's when I really start getting into more real things connecting becoming more connected if you will to 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 energies which is what everything is everything is energy this crude material this flesh and stuff are atoms and energies that are vibrating at a certain frequency so that we can perceive it with our with our senses so um again when i quit my job and stopped being distracted that's when i got into it but even after i got into it you know i went on a two fight skid um i lost against Jan Blahovic and Dominic Reyes. Um, you know, we see where those guys are. Yeah, so I was going to say, it didn't, it didn't seem great yeah. at the time, but now when you look yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, right. But, um, yeah, you said it for me. <laughs> so, um, but after that, you know, um, yeah. Again, changing, changing everything. You know, adjusting the diet, adjusting my training regimen, adjusting my thinking, which is really important, which is one of the biggest things that I had to do, change my thinking, and um, that's when things started to, I guess, the universe started to respond. All right, Jared. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank enjoy you. your day. Take care.
I'm joined now by Ty Tuivasa taking on Stefan Struve this weekend at UFC 254. So in August, I read that you've been released from the UFC. Six weeks later, you have a fight in the UFC. Walk me through what happened. Um, yeah, that, that was a bit of a... That was just me um, geeing up people on social media and uh, just being a clown. I didn't think anything of it. I, I kind of It kind of was a joke. And then I went to bed and I woke up and there was articles everywhere. So <laughs> it kind of blew up. But, you know, social media has that power these days. So. And you didn't feel the need to clarify? Be like, hey, I was just joking around. Just let it just let it roll. <laughs> is what it is, man. If you if, if people are if people are so silly to believe whatever they want to believe, with, then uh, that's up to them. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear you weren't released. Then that's good news. Uh, but it's, it's yeah. certainly good to have you back. Um, what's the last year been like for you? You've been off for a, a year, and I'm sure you've learned a lot of new tools. Ups and downs, you know. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, there's people doing worse out there uh, around the world. Especially with this uh, this corona happening and, and all that, but um, yeah, I, I've uh, I've stayed I've stayed in one piece and I've, I've kept myself busy. Uh, I've actually been yeah head down, ass up into training, so it's been good. Your brother-in-law Tyson Pedro, he's been off for about two years as well. How's he doing? And uh, any updates on him? He's well. Uh, obviously, his knee injury, uh, you know, it's it's a bit of a big one. So uh, I think he did it again, uh, you know, coming into another fight and uh, stuff like that. So poor buggers out for for you know till the end of the year or, or whatever it is. But his uh, his his spirits are high. You know? He's still training and, and doing whatever he can to to get back. So he re-injured it in training. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was meant to fight in uh, Auckland or I think it was uh, in New Zealand, and, and I think it would have been like three weeks before the fight. So. Yeah, yeah, the ACLs, they're uh, they're one to watch, that's for sure. So is he? Uh, has have you been you know there for him to pick up his spears? I'm sure that he's probably been pretty down. You know, the yeah, last yeah, two years, yeah, probably yeah. Been we, having trouble training. Yeah, we've been busy. Uh, we, we've uh, released a bee back home in in uh, in, uh, in in Australia, and uh, it's going really well. Uh, you know, he's keeping himself busy outside the cage. So. That's all I suppose you can do, man. And once you're injured, you know I've been there before as well. And you got to keep yourself busy, keep your mind going. But uh, you know he'll be back. You know a big part of uh, what's what's made you so popular is your interactions with the fans. You've been you do the shoeies at the, the shows. There's no fans at this particular event. Uh, do you feel like that's going to change the way you perform at all, or or you know perhaps even improve it? Uh, yeah, I think it might uh, improve improve my performance. Um, maybe in, in some ways, but uh, I, I love the crowd and I, I love uh, entertaining the fans and, and, and putting on a show for people, but I'm sure there'll be millions of people watching on TV, so so I won't be short of a fan or two. Are you thinking of maybe hiding a boot underneath the octagon that you can just access afterwards? Ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always got something up my sleeve, you know <laughs> that. So I've always got something planned, you know, and... Uh, but my main task is, is winning this fight, you know. I'm on the back of a, a few losses, so I'm, I'm, I'm keen to get back in and, and prove myself to, uh, to everyone who's, who's kind of doubted me over this past year. Well, Stefan Struve, is a, he's a tall glass of water. He's seven feet tall. His nickname is the Skyscraper. How do you train for someone like that? Were you able to find anybody, um, like perhaps Andrew Bogut or something along those lines, that you could bring in and train with for this event? <laughs> Andrew Bogut, <laughs> he'd actually be a good sparring partner if I could bring him in, but uh, I don't know if he could punch any good, so he'll be a good uh, candidate, that's for sure. But um, 
I, I, I found that I found a good candidate. Uh, you know, one of the boys, Charles Joyner, aka Legs. Uh, he's uh, what six eight, something like that. So he's uh, and he and he's very good at uh, what he does is kickboxing, and and, and uh, he's he's kept me at um, at bay. So I feel like I've, I've prepared the best uh, that I can with uh, with what's happening in the world and and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it's a fight, and, and uh, as long as we're all prepared as best we can and, and get in there and we have a crack. Is it difficult to, to get to somebody that's that tall? I mean, people have gotten to step through before, of course, but it's it's certainly a puzzle to solve. Oh, it definitely is. Definitely is. Uh, these taller fellas have a lot more uh, a lot more tools, I, I, I can say, you know, and, and if they know how to use it right, uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely dangerous. But... Uh, we are, me and my spine partner have been at it for five months now, so we've been uh, we've been going hard, and, and I feel like I'm prepared in every way. So should be good. I'm keen to get back in there. You mentioned people doubting you. You're on a bit of a losing skid. Um, was there anything going into those fights that may, might have been different, that might have been throwing you off? Is there a mental block that might have happened after the first loss, or anything that you would attribute those losses to um, outside of just performance? I would feel my last fight, yeah, more more so than the, than the first two that I lost. Uh, first two maybe I lost because of uh, inexperience. Uh, the two world champions, one on one, I thought I beat, but uh, that that's up to the judges. And in this sport, it's not really good to to leave it up to the judges, though. But my last fight, I, I had some uh, I had some things going outside of the ring and, and and whatnot. But I'm not really one to make excuses, man. Uh, you know, you win and you lose, and, and uh, we live and we learn. So I'm living and I'm learning. <laughs> so, so all of those things um, that were happening leading up to the last fight, does that's all been shored up, and you have a clear head going into this one? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel I've had to I've had to change a few things. Uh, you know, not not just uh, with my with my career, but in my personal life, and 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 in, you know, I was probably making a few wrong decisions, as we do. And uh, and it was showing in my results. And uh, hopefully this time we, you know, I feel like I've I've made a few uh, big decisions in my career. You know, I tried to move over to America and uh, and have a crack at that at AKA and, and stuff like that. But uh, the world had different plans. You know, this whole Corona is pretty much it's fucked the whole world. So. <laughs> did did you end up getting over to AKA or that's just uh, something that you wanted to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was there for. Probably three months, three and a bit months, um, getting in some work and, and, and learning what I could in that short time. But um, definitely, uh, definitely need to head back there. Definitely want to head back there. Uh, I think I need to be there to uh, to better myself as a fighter and, and then uh, to do better in uh, in this in this game. So, well, tell me about uh, training at AKA then. What, what was it like working with Javier Mendez and Co? Uh, I really, I got welcomed with open arms, man, and and I couldn't have, I couldn't have asked for anything better. You know, I had uh, DC take me in, and, and he was the one who introduced me to to everyone, and and, and kind of asked me to come in, and, and, and gave me, you know, gave me that helping hand, and, and the whole gym took me in, man, and it was it was a really good vibe, you know. But just to walk in a room full of killers, it's a it's a lot it's a lot different to what we have back home, you know. Uh, you know, we, we might have a few killers in one room, but uh, <laughs> to walk in and have about a hundred of them, you, you feel the vibe and you, you feel the level you need to be at to to be the best. And that's that's proven why they 
they are the best. You know, there's been several champions out of AKA, and I can see why now. Was Khabib there when you were training? Khabib was there. Yes, uh, all the boys were there. Uh, Khabib, Islam, their whole crew. Uh, I trained with Kane in uh, DC a lot. So, like I said, we were just warming up too, and uh, <laughs> and then. Uh, the whole world got shut down, so you know it can't be. You know, it's not boohoo to me. It's, I'm sure there's, uh, I'm sure there's more people out there who have suffered uh, a lot more harder than me. So have you seen Khabib and his team as of yet? Have you, um, you know, reunited with him? Does it feel like you're reuniting with an old teammate? Haven't seen him. Uh, I don't think I, we would see them. They're, 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 they're busy. They're rolled deep. So if I do see them, of course we say hello and. and and I'll share my love and my condolences and you know and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to their fight as well. You know, and just to even watch people like Khabib train and and their crew. You know, it, it was it was a big eye opener for me and uh, and it kind of let me know where I'm at. Yeah. So, well, can you expand on that? When you saw those guys training, did it was it inspiring for you? Is there anything that you learned from yeah. them in particular? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Animals, man. Animals. And that, and that shows that shows in their in their work, shows in their work. All right, Ty. Well, it's great to I, I would say great to have you back. I mean, it's great to have you back in the cage, but you never left us. You, the whole thing was a big misunderstanding. <laughs> nah, you can't you can't get rid of me, man. I'm not that easy. <laughs> not that easy. That's the last thing we'd want to do. I appreciate your time. Thanks for this. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Cheers. A big thank you to all of our guests: Khabib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje. Jared Cannonier and Tai Tuivasa for their time on this week's show. And hey, I'm sure you want to get some conversation going. You want to hear what myself and Bazooka Joe Valtellini have to say. That's coming up a little bit later on this week. So this was the interview edition. And then we're going to have, of course, just the regular TSN MMA show that, you know, where Joe and I uh, shoot the breeze, discuss all of the different topics in MMA, recaps, previews, everything under the sun. That's where we will be doing that. And, uh, you know, keep an eye out wherever you get your podcasts later this week or on tsn.ca as that show will drop very, very soon. And we look forward to uh, having you tune in to all of the uh, great conversation that uh, myself and Joe Valentini have. We always appreciate it. Now we've split these shows up and it looks like that's what the plan is going forward is doing an interview show and then another show where it's, you know, more topical, more uh, conversational. Uh, You know, I, I like listening to different interviews in audio format. So I hope that this is appreciated. You know, it's, it's hard to go and find where all of these interviews live. And if you want to just get them all in one place, this is your place. It's the TSN MMA show interview edition. So uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll see you later this week. Myself and Joe Valtellini discussing everything under the sun in terms of mixed martial arts.